Welcome to Family Bible Hour, a broadcast of the Sunday morning worship services of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida. So glad that you're here. The um, series that we're in is the Truth, Love, and Worship series, and the message that was be for today would be on the new commandment, and uh, that message is already prepared, but it'll be uh, brought to you next Sunday, the new commandment. We're beginning the second part of the Truth, Love, and, and Worship <clears throat> series, and uh, so today we're going to take a, a little break from the series, and we're going to look at uh, what it means to be a great dad. So take your Bibles and turn to Joshua 24, and we're going to look at verses 14 through 16, as well as some some other verses. In 2012, in an interview with uh, New Yorker magazine, Bruce Springsteen uh, said that his broken relationship with his father lives in his songs, in his music. In the song, Adam Raised a Cain, which sounds interesting, a much uh, younger Springsteen sings about the father who, quote, walks these empty rooms looking for something to blame. You inherit the sins. You inherit the flames. <laughs> the songs were a way of talking to his silent and distant father. Springsteen said this of his father, my dad was very nonverbal. You couldn't really have a conversation with him. I had to make my peace with that, but I had to have a conversation with him. Because I had to have one, uh, it, because I needed to have one, it ain't easy or it ain't the best way to go about it, but that was the only way that I could, so I did. And eventually he did respond. He might not have liked the songs, but I think he liked the, that they existed. It meant that he mattered. The past is anything but past for Springsteen. He said, my parents' struggles... Uh, my, my parents' struggles is the subject of my life. It's the thing that eats at me and always will. Our children are greatly impacted by the way that, that we mother them and father them. And the impact of a father is unique just as the impact of a mother is unique. Children need dads and they need great dads. Our country today is facing a lot of challenges. We have uh, economic challenges, we have leadership challenges, we have uh, moral challenges, just so many challenges. Not to be overlooked is the domestic challenge of recreating, if you will, fatherhood into a, or the vital role for men. America needs as uh, we just heard uh, Mike sing, America needs good men. God needs a few good men. America needs <clears throat> some good men who can and will be good fathers. Now, a good father provides for his family. A good father protects his family. A good father gives spiritual and moral guidance as well as um, economic stability to the family. I think that Joshua is a good example of a father, though we normally don't see him in the father setting. There's a lot to be said about fatherhood in this classic passage from Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. 
Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers, whether the gods your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It's a great passage of scripture. Shows a lot of things about um, how we should make our spiritual decisions in general. But it shows us a lot about being a father. Before we get into much more about being a father, I want to talk about a little of the history that uh, backs up this, um, this passage of scripture and give you some idea of some of the things that we face as fathers based on what they faced. They faced what I call the great temptation. What led up to this declaration by Joshua? The children of Israel are once again gathered together to present themselves before the Lord. And Joshua reminds them, Joshua reminds them of God's dealings with their fathers and forefathers and how gracious that God had been even when his chosen people had not been faithful to him. And isn't that a wonderful thing that God does not reveal his faithfulness to us based on our faithfulness to him? If so, probably uh, we would be forsaken. But God is a God of grace and mercy. We have unmerited favor and unwarranted forgiveness. And God had unmerited favor on his chosen people, Israel, and Joshua reminded of them of this in verse 1 of uh, Joshua 24. Joshua gathered all the tribes of Israel to Shechem and summoned the elders, the heads, the judges, the officers of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. And Joshua said to all the people, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, long ago your fathers lived beyond the Euphrates, Terah, the father of <clears throat> Terah, the father of Abraham and of Nahor, and they served other gods. Then I took your father Abraham from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan and made his offspring many. I gave him Isaac. Now, as we continue to read the verses leading up to our text, we see how that God gave to Israel uh, leaders. He God gave to Israel land. He gave them protection. He gave them provision and he gave them guidance. God did many wonderful things for Israel. Now they are settled in the land. Now they are where they had been trying to go for all of those years. And they face some new temptations. Here's what they're facing. They're facing some idolatry that their forefathers had, um, had shown them in the way that their forefathers had lived their lives. Their forefathers had stumbled over idolatry and they now had a choice to stumble over the same idolatry. It was a temptation for them. Their temptation was to fall into the sins of their father. Their temptation was to be like their fathers were. So they faced an old temptation and they faced a new choice. 
Now, here's something that we should remember. It's a saying. I didn't originate it. It's a pretty good saying, though. Opportunity knocks once, but temptation beats on the door every day. Actually, it beats on the door many times a day. We live our lives constantly surrounded by temptations. There's always the temptation. Now, I won't give a list of the different kinds of temptations, but temptations face all of us all the time. You've probably faced a temptation already today. And if you haven't already faced one, you're going to face one before uh, the day is through. There's no place on earth where we can escape temptations. Now, since this is Father's Day, I want to talk about some of the temptations that we face as fathers. What temptations do dads face? And in looking at these, I looked at my own uh, fatherhood, that is how I uh, raised um, Nathan and Matthew and Paul, and I look at my dad's leadership as a father, and so many others. What are our temptations? Well, first of all, there is the nagging temptation to be perfect. Dads have a really strong temptation toward perfection. If, if that is your temptation, it probably weighs very heavily on your family because no one is perfect. I can remember times in, in my leadership as a dad in expecting perfection, and that perfection caused me to react in ways that I should never have reacted because I wanted things to be perfect. I wanted things to be exactly the way that they ought to be. And here's what we should remember. There's nothing wrong with striving for perfection. There's nothing wrong with striving to be the best. But we have to understand that no one is perfect. Perfection is not achievable apart from the grace of God. And if you put on your children the, the uh, burden of being perfect in everything, then your children are going to live under, and, and your, your wife too, going to live under a very heavy burden. And, and I know that because I know that I've, I placed that burden on my children from time to time. It wasn't a good thing. It wasn't a smart thing. But it is something that I did. And I, I regret that as a dad. I, I remember one time uh, when um, Nathan, in fact, I brought this up to him the other day uh, in, in a joking manner. When, when Nathan was washing his mom's minivan, and there were a time when we had minivans, and he didn't do a very good job. He just didn't. And, uh, I mean, to be honest, he did a very poor job. And he still owes me a car wash, uh, <clears throat> by the way, or his mom. And I, I never will forget what Nathan said in the backyard. He said, Dad, it's just a car. Do you remember that, Nathan? It's just a car. Oh, that just flew all over me. <clears throat> because I'm the perfect dad. And I was going to teach him that everything has value. And so to emphasize, I was standing at the back corner of the, of the minivan, and to emphasize 
my point. I said, Nathan, hitting against the van, I said, Nathan, it's not just a car. And I turned around, and I knocked a dent in the corner of the car, right about like that. There wasn't a lot to say. But the truth is that a lot of us dads fall in the temptation of perfection. Not that we're perfect, but we want our kids to be perfect. We know we're not perfect. We want our kids to be something that we know that we're not. Here's another temptation. We have the temptation to overbook. Have you ever been the the victim of overbooking? You ever been bumped off an airplane or had the car that that you were supposed to to rent, um, had it taken? Uh, I, I think it was trains, planes, and automobiles where uh, Steve uh, Martin and uh, John Candy were traveling together and they, they were supposed to, they got a reservation and the guy said, well, I'm sorry, we don't have your car, but they, it was reserved and they went on and on and on and great frustration uh, over that. Maybe you had a hotel room uh, that was supposed to be reserved, but they over, overbooked. Sometimes we overbook our lives. Kids suffer from our temptation to overbook our lives and our, our emotions. Now, we all have a limited amount of emotional uh, energy, emotion and energy to give. We only have so much enthusiasm that we can give. We only have so much creativity, so much emotional strength to give. And when we give it all out somewhere else, and we come home and there's none left, then our children and our families do not get any. We come home and, and all we want to do is just be there and be quiet and be left alone. That means that we overbooked our day. There was some of our emotion, there was some of our enthusiasm, there was some of our creativity, there was some of our love, there was some of our attention that was supposed to have been reserved for when we got home that day, but we overbooked it. And when we got home, it was missing. Some people claim that it's not the, the quality a quantity of the time that we give our children. It's the quality of the time that matters to them. And I'm going to tell you, that's just not true. It's absolutely not true. Uh, it, it's on, on the other side of it, those of you who have children who are now teenagers or, or older, maybe, um, maybe kids that are, that are 10 or 11 or 12 or, or that want to be on the go all the time, and, and you want them to stay home. And the reason you want them to stay home is just so they'll be at home. There's nothing you want to do. There's not a project. You just want them to be there. You just want them to be in the house. You just want to be able to, to uh, know that they're there. There's something about the fact that, that in the, the quantity of time that you have with them that they they choose to spend it in a room with you. It's not always quality time. Now, I believe in quality time. Certainly, we all ought to believe in quality time. But quantity matters, too. How much time we give to someone communicates the value that we place on that person. You ever heard they uh, say, well, they won't give you the time of day. You know what that means? They don't have any value for you. We, we shouldn't overbook our lives to the point that we can't give our kids some quantity 
time. Yes, give them quality time, but give them some quantity time as well. One of the temptations for dads is the temptation to overbook. Here's another one, the temptation for materialism. This is when we substitute what we purchase our family for involvement in our family. This is when we substitute toys for time or whatever it may be. Now, it's a biblical principle for the father to provide for his children, but when he is buying stuff for making up for not being there, and that happens a lot. Those of you who are <clears throat> dealing with, with uh, a family that, that has had a, a divorce touch the family, and, and now there's perhaps a, a shared custody and, and so on, sometimes this idea of, of materialism uh, speaks to uh, what really matters, and that doesn't really matter. Don't make the mistake of of saying that materialism is the priority of your home. I can tell you this, that while material things are really good, your parents would much rather have you than the stuff that comes from you. You say, well, no, not my kids. They wouldn't. My kids like the stuff. They may like the stuff because you've conditioned them to like the stuff. But I promise you, they want time with you. Let me give you another one very quickly. The temptation to be secular. There's a temptation for dads, even born-again dads, spiritual dads, saved dads. There's a temptation for dads to be secular and not be spiritual, not have a sense of spiritual leadership in the home. I think most of you would guess that, that one of the most admired presidents for me in my lifetime was Ronald Reagan. I absolutely admired Ronald Reagan, so many things about him. When he died at his burial service, his son Michael spoke of all that his father had given him during his life. And then he spoke of the greatest gift that he ever received from his dad. Do you know what he said the greatest gift was that he ever received from his father? The greatest gift, according to Michael Reagan, was the gift of knowing Jesus. Think of that. Think of a dad like Ronald Reagan a man like Ronald Reagan, leaving behind an imprint where that his son looks back on his life and says, oh, and by the way, the best thing I ever got from dad was knowing Jesus. Here's a, here's a rule of thumb. This is absolutely the truth. Our children will love what we love. If we are excited about the secular and endure the spiritual, it will show in our lives and it will show in our children's lives. Fathers in particular should make loving Jesus attractive. Fathers in particular should make loving Jesus desirable for the kids. Joshua addressed the temptation to be secular in verse 14 of our text. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your fathers served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. Joshua knew what they would be thinking when they saw these old temptations. A temptation that lives in all of us is to do what others have done or to do what others are doing. There's this temptation to just be a part of the crowd. There is a temptation to be like everybody else. It's like I I said about living the truth. We opt, (coughs) excuse me, (coughs) we opt for what's right today instead of what's right with God. And, and the definition of what is right has changed over the years. 
it continues to change over the years. I was born in 1950. What was right when I was six years old or five years old as my grandson is, what was right when I was five years old is much different than what's right in, in, as far as the society is concerned for a young man like Bradford. <clears throat> we, we oftentimes opt to, uh, to secularize our lives and update them. It's, it's like we have this operating system that has to be updated once in a while. And you, you have the operating system and now a bunch of new stuff has come out for your computer or come out for your iPad or your iPhone or, or Droid or whatever it may be and, and it gives you a notice that you have a new update. And so you, you click on that and you update and then all of the settings in the phone adapt to the new update. They all change to the new update. That's what's going on in our world today. Our world is constantly updating our settings constantly so that the operating system that we once operated on we don't operate on it much anymore in fact those things that once were considered to be state-of-the-art are now considered even be old-fashioned or even wrong today just think how much we're influenced by the world around us today we're we are a reflection of a culture that moves from day to day. And oftentimes that culture moves from day to day for only one reason, just to keep the market fresh. Just so somebody can sell more of something. Our clothes haven't changed because what we wear today looks better than anything that we've worn before. The marketplace changes style to create demand so we'll buy new clothes before the old clothes wear out. That's a good picture of what sweaters look like when... uh, uh, when I was a, a teenager and when I was in my early twenties. <clears throat> There's some things that I once wore that was styling and profiling back then, but would humiliate me today. <clears throat> I just couldn't wear them. And I will tell you that that when and Jan will tell you that when I was younger, I always dressed, man. I'm telling you, I always dressed. Worked at a men's store, uh, knew what was in, knew what was out. I was always uh, with it, and I always followed the market, but it'd humiliate me to find some of those clothes. If I, if I came in here wearing that zipper sweater in the front there, I'm telling you, it, it wouldn't be a good thing. Now, it's not because they're not good fashion, but it's because that the operating system has changed. The market has changed, and the market changed so that the market would stay fresh. Here's what I'm guessing. I'm guessing that there's some old guy in here that has a Nehru jacket. That tells you how old that is. There were two people that went, ha, <laughs> I promise you, let, let me just, I'm not going to, I better not do this. I was going to ask you to raise your hand. Some of you still got leisure suits uh, <clears throat> at home. You, you've got leisure suits. Joel, do you have a leisure suit at the house? <clears throat> you don't? The good thing about leisure suits is they were double knit. You remember that? They were double knit polyester. I'm going to tell you, you could buy that thing when you weighed 150 and you'd go to 200 pounds and still wear the same thing. <laughs> Didn't look exactly the same, but, uh, but all it looked better. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, I agree with you on that one, Joel. <clears throat> 
Just as the market changes to create a need for newer goods and services, so do the philosophies of our day. They change. Today, we are being pressured to think differently about a lot of things. We're being pressured to think differently about marriage. What is marriage? We're, we're pressured into to thinking differently about that. We're pressured into uh, thinking what we should or should not accept about the value of life. And that's a pressure on us today. It's, it's a pressure, and it's a constant pressure. It, is, it does not let up. When you're watching a television program, and you see uh, certain things being propagated, I want you to roll back in your mind 20 years, maybe just 10 years. Roll back in your mind and think what if this had happened or this had been said or this had been propagated X number of years ago. Here's what you're going to discover. You're going to discover how much your operating system has updated. And the problem is the more we update our operating system to fit the mores of the world, the further we are from the absolute of the truth of God and and God's word. That's the problem. What, What... is needed today are our dads who will not succumb to the pressure of secularism. Here's yet one. Here's one being debated right now. This will be fresh in everybody's mind. The right to privacy. That's that's being debated, debated right now. And I'll tell you, it's an interesting debate. Well, we believe that uh, the government should be able to collect this kind of information about you because of the world in which we live. Whereas somebody else says, well, I believe that they ought to collect information, but there ought to be a line and so forth and so on and so on. You, you know what that is? That is a debate that is resetting the operating system of, of our secular thinking. And it's going to be reset. Just like, and, and this is not a political message, but just like thinking about health care is being reset. And so much else is being reset. There's a reason for all of this. And the scriptures warned about it in 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. You say, Pastor Ray, do you think that there's a master plan uh, to, to capture our minds? I absolutely do. And I don't think it came in the last eight years or 10 years or four years or 50 years. It goes all the way back to 2 Corinthians 4, 4 and beyond. We, we must take the, the battle for our hearts and minds very seriously. And, and the Bible says that a, as a man thinks in his heart, so us, is he. And, and we should understand that what we value, our children will value. So as your uh, operating system is resetting, remember what the impact is going to be to your children who are going to have their operating system reset in accordance with yours. There's a reason that we are to love uh, the things of God and not the things of the world. Because it's a reflection on our relationship with God. 1 John 2, 15, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. The world is the enemy of the walk. There's a walk that you believe that you should have as a a Christian. 
I want you to know, the world is an enemy to the walk that the Bible teaches you. The Bible says that we cannot love God and, and the material or the temporal and the secular at the same time. But for as long as I can remember, the world has been trying to get us to do that because the world has had an all-out assault on Christianity. Are you a conspiracy theorist, uh, theorist uh, Pastor Ray? No, I'm a 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 theorist. There is a God of this world who is blinding the minds of unbelievers lest the glorious light of the gospel should shine unto them. And it's clearer today than it's ever been, but in the midst of all of those who are, are Christians, we, we find ourselves sympathetic to the secular. It's hard to know how we're supposed to think about the secular. Next Sunday, I'm, I'm bringing a message, I, t- I told you already, and it's, it's on the new commandment. It's a, message that, it's a message that everybody wants to hear. It's a message about love. Now, this is why we go to church, is to hear messages about love. But I want to tell you something. Love and loving like God would love is a complicated thing. It's not an easy thing to do. It's, it's like we have a hard time realizing that we can love people in this messed up world without having to be messed up by their operating system. I'll tell you what's happened to us. You ever heard of the Stockholm Syndrome? The Stockholm Syndrome, the term Stockholm Syndrome first occurred in 1973 at, at an attempted bank robbery in Stockholm, Sweden. A man tried to rob a bank and the police caught him inside. He took three female hostages and one male hostage, and he held them for 131 hours, during which time he terrorized them. He fired his Russian automatic assault weapon at them. He threatened to kill them on numerous occasions. He put nooses around their necks and threatened to hang them, but he didn't harm a single one of them. And when he finally surrendered, something very unusual happened. You you would expect the hostages to be antagonistic toward the hostage taker, but instead, They said that they feared the police more than they did the hostage taker. They also said that they didn't hate the hostage taker. They refused to testify against him. One of the women actually became engaged to him. Do you know what happened? During that 131 hours, their operating system got reset. And while they were victims and uh, being terrorized by this man, their operating system reset. And all of a sudden, this guy who was once a threat to their very lives became a hero in their lives. This is what's happening in our world today. Our world today is subject to the Stockholm Syndrome. We, we have found ourselves in harmony with those things that have done everything that it could to rob this nation, this world, of morality. In, in a Christian nation, we have begun to fear Christianity more than the enemy. Satan is still the enemy, and his ways are still wicked. And, and the wrong in our world today is his wrong, and it's still wrong. And dads and moms, don't give in to the secular. Don't allow your operating system to be reset. Maintain a spiritual standard in your home. Be a great dad and avoid these great temptations. That's the bulk of the message. Here's point number two, the great leader. John Maxwell wrote, 
A person who has a dream knows what he's willing to give up in order to go up. He's able to measure everything he does according to whether or not it contributes to the dream, concentrating his attention on the things that bring him closer to it and giving less attention to everything that doesn't. So what is your dream? Do you have a dream for what you want to do for Christ? Do you have a dream for your family? Do you have a dream for how God wants you to influence your family for Jesus? Joshua had a dream. And Joshua made a choice to support the vision that he had for his family based on that dream. Verse 15, and if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Now here's some things to to learn about leadership. This is really, really uh, important stuff. If you're going to be a great dad, you've got to be a great leader. First of all, leaders choose. Joshua challenged Israel to choose. If they thought it was a bad choice to serve the Lord, then go ahead and make a different choice. If they thought that choosing God was, was the wrong decision and choosing the old way was the right decision, they're free to do that. We have the same opportunity today. We can choose to make this the last day that we ever mention the name of God. I, I can make that decision. I could say, all right, uh, uh, all things being equal and I, I live for many more years, I can make this day right now, today, the very last day that I ever mentioned the name of God. Because leaders choose. I could make that choice if I wanted to. Here's a, there's a great spiritual law that, that I've shared with you on many occasions. I'll share it with you again. It's the law of us having certain opportunities. 1 Corinthians 6, 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Now, here's what Paul was saying to the Corinthian church. I I can choose anything, but not anything that I choose or everything that I choose will be helpful. In a a few minutes, we're going to have lunch. Maybe some of you will go to a restaurant. Now, you can make a choice. You can choose to order from the menu or you can choose to eat the menu. They're not equal choices, but you can choose. That's just what you can do. And and you can choose to make a choice for this or to be dominated by a choice that you make. Here's another one. 1 Corinthians 10, 23. All things are lawful, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful, but but not all things build up. There's two great criteria for leadership choices. You may choose to see it God's way, as God's way as the good way, or you may choose otherwise. It's your choice. Dads, you have a leadership choice to make. And if you think another way to lead your family, something other than God's way, would be the best way, then you have that right to choose. You really do. There's a serious difference in the outcome, but you have the right to to choose. When it comes to good and evil, God or Satan, there's a clear difference in the choices we make. And Joshua made the difference, made a clear choice. 
In essence, he said, here are your choices. You can go back to the pagan gods of your forefathers, or you can pick up the pagan gods of these Amorites. You can serve, or you can serve the true and living God with me. And by the way, there was no provision made for doing two things at once. He didn't say, you can serve uh, your old gods and serve our God. You can serve the pagan gods and serve... He didn't say that. He said, you're going to have to make a choice. You're going to have to make a decision. You're not going to be able to do both. You may think you can do both, but you're not going to be able to do both. You've got to choose. And that's a a fact in Scripture. In Luke 16 and verse 13, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. So in the spiritual life, there's an either or, but there's never a both. Great leaders choose. That's what leaders do. Here's the second thing. A good leader will choose well. Joshua said, for me and my house, we'll serve the Lord. That was a good choice. Now, here's a question, and I, I really mean this. And you're here on Father's Day. You didn't go to the lake. You didn't go to the beach. You didn't go to the golf course. You, you may do those things later on today, which would be wonderful. You said, I want to make sure that on Father's Day, I make church a priority on Father's Day. I'm glad that you're here. Not every dad made that choice, obviously. But you made that choice, and thank God that you're here. Here's a question. Is that a hard choice for you? Is that a tough thing? Do you honestly struggle with making a choice to serve God, to love Jesus, to make Him the Lord of your life and family? Is that tough for you? We're to bring every area of our lives under the Lordship of Christ so people can see the difference that that Jesus has made in our lives and, and to our family. We have a tremendous opportunity to do so, but some people find that a hard choice. That's just hard for me to do. I, I would encourage you today, we're going to give an invitation in just a few minutes. And when we do, I would encourage you today to come and to get a new operating system. And kneel at this altar and say, Lord, I'm, I'm a dad, and I've come here to update my operating system. It's been updated on a regular basis by, by the, the morals around me. It's been updated on a regular basis by my goals and by my job. But I want to, I want to on a regular basis, make sure that I get a system update from you. And so I'm here to push the update button, and I'm going to uh, push Uh, I'm I'm going to put in my password, which is uh, to the glory of God, and I'm asking you to update my system today and become a great leader. And what happens if you do that? What will happen to those around you if you decide to be a great dad and lead your family to choose Jesus for yourself and your home? Well, there's a great result. Do you know how you can spot a leader? This is, this is, profound. Here's the way you can spot a leader. People are following them. That's the way you can spot a leader. They may be following them the right direction. They may be following them in the wrong direction, but people are following them. In Joshua 24 and verse 16, then the people answered, far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. Do you want to have an impact on the lives of people around you? Then take a stand. 
take a clear stand. Take a, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, stand. When Robert Ingersoll, the notorious atheist of years gone by, decades gone by, was in his heyday, when he was in his heyday, two college students went to hear him lecture. And as they walked down the street after the lecture, one said to the other, well, I guess he knocked the props out from under Christianity, didn't he? The other one said, no, I don't think he did. Ingersoll didn't explain my dad's life. And until he can explain my dad's life, I'm going to stand by my dad's God. How strong is your spiritual leadership? Today is a good day to update your operating system. I, I know that you committed to being a great dad when your children were born. I know that you did. When my children were born, I recommitted myself to be a great dad each time. But you know what happens? Life changes, and the world changes us. And our operating system gets a lot of trash in it. And it needs to be updated by the clear direction of God our Father. And update our system to be right where it's supposed to be in regard to His Word and His will. And my challenge to you dads today is to be a great father. You've been listening to the Family Bible Hour, a broadcast ministry of North Florida Baptist Church in Tallahassee, Florida, with your speaker, Dr. Randy Ray. Visit us online at nflchurch.com. Dr. Ray invites you to join him next week for the Family Bible Hour.